Thank you so much for being a listener of the Deep Believer Show. We love our listeners, we pray for our listeners, and we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to say, if you have any testimonies, or if you have any questions, leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Again, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener of The Deep Believer Show. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Today, I'm excited about our guest. Our guest was a homosexual. He was molested in the church, lost all natural affection for girls. But years later, he found a powerful supernatural weapon that he was able to break it. And you're going to want to stay around to hear how he did this. There's a lot packed in this story, more than what I just mentioned. You're going to want to stay around. You're going to want to listen. This is a very good story that everyone should hear. Joshua Gutierrez, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. All right, Joshua. So tell me, you grew up in Mexico. How was that growing up for you? And were your parents believers? Yes, I grew up in Mexico. uh, And it's a lot different than it is over here. Um, There's a lot of things that we take for granted over here in the U.S. that, you know, in Mexico, they don't have. So we grew up in a poor family. My mother, I think she told me she worked every day and every day she would get paid about you know, $7. So that's for the whole day. So we lived in extreme poverty. And that is what led my parents to want to come over to the US so that they could give me a better life. It wasn't easy. But you know, God helped us. He supplied our needs. He made it possible for us to come to the US where he blessed my parents and in turn was able to bless me and give me a better life like they wanted to do. So when you move from Mexico, you moved to New England. And when you moved to New England, your mother joined the church. But before she joined the church, tell us about your mom, because she has a story in her in itself. So tell us about your mom pre-church in New England. Yes, my mother actually, um, before coming to New England, the United States, she was part of a Catholic family, uh, like most Mexicans. You know, Catholicism is big in Mexico. But also she unfortunately got mixed up in witchcraft when she was about 12 years old. When she was about 12 years old, she got mixed up in witchcraft. And that sort of started a lot of things in her life. She delved into the white magic, yellow magic, green magic. And during that, she obtained several powers because that's why people go into witchcraft. You know, you get certain powers from the demons that you make pacts with. Um, she got, I think, the power of telekinesis and of healing so she could move objects with her mind and heal people. But it wasn't actually her doing that. She later found out it was the demons that would move the objects and they would provide the healing for the people because demons do have powers. Um, and they can give those powers over to those who make packs with them. Unfortunately, uh, later on, when you decide to leave them, they turn on you and they start torturing you and tormenting you. That's what happened with my mom when she eventually left that lifestyle of the witchcraft. And also, I wanted to mention that she also experimented with lesbianism with a friend of hers when I think she was pregnant with me or shortly after I was born. So that was another thing. 
that uh, I believe also put a generational curse over my life that would later allow demons of homosexuality and sexual confusion to enter me and be able to control my thoughts and manipulate my thoughts and emotions. But anyway, um, after I was born, she was able to leave that lifestyle. She came to know Jesus Christ. I was born. I developed some sort of sickness that caused some ladies, some Christian ladies from the town to come pray for me. And God healed me miraculously through them. And that sort of reignited her faith. And she became a Christian. She left that lifestyle, that dark lifestyle that she was living in. And the enemy was not happy about that. And the enemy actually did not want to let her go. She told me that he would show up at night to physically torture her. He would put his hand on her side and cause her immense physical pain as sort of punishment for leaving her. And people don't realize this. You know, you can make these packs with these demons, with the devil to get fame and money and fortune and powers. But then if you ever decide to leave them, they turn into your worst enemies. They start torturing you, tormenting you. And that's what happened with my mother. But she didn't give up. You know, she declared herself to be property of Jesus Christ. And she told me that the devil hated whenever she said there was power in the blood of Jesus because he knew it was true. Um, the blood of Jesus Christ has unlimited power to set us free from all things. And that's what happened with her. She was set free. And then uh, the years passed. She became a Christian. Our, our family, you know, they're Catholic, so not all of them are very happy about that idea. <laughs> But she didn't give up. You know, she served God. And my dad, you know, when he found out that I was born, he wasn't too thrilled about the idea. Um, at the time, you know, he was seeing several women. So that came as a shock to him. And, you know, at first he did reject me the first few years of my life. He didn't really want to see me very much. So he went to the United States first to look for a job and didn't really, you know, seek to start a relationship with me. And I believe that also um, allowed another generational curse to be placed on my life and the spirit of rejection. Um, I've done a lot of research on this. And whenever the spirit of rejection enters young boys, like it did in my case, usually that spirit of rejection is accompanied by a demon of homosexuality, which starts perverting that natural need for male love, for male affirmation, for male attention, you know? And it starts to sort of pervert it um, in young boys to the point where it becomes sort of sexual. You know what I mean? Um, the same thing can happen with uh, girls too. You know, whenever uh, the spirit of rejection enters kids from parents who sort of push their kids aside or don't want anything to do with them, that can affect them. Um, so parents, you know, we really have to take that job seriously. It's one of the most important jobs that there is, you know, you really have to give your children the love, attention, and care that, that the Bible orders us to give them. So that doesn't happen. So that does, does not happen. And um, and so that happened. Uh, my parents eventually got married. They sent for me, and I went to the United States to live with them when I was around seven years old. There, it was that my mom became a really devout Christian, and she started to go to a Pentecostal Christian church in the town that we lived in in New England. And that's when things sort of took a turn for the worse for me, as you mentioned before. Wow. And I'm really glad you mentioned the part about rejection and how there's so much power in the in the worst part when a child encounters rejection from a parent. I found this I find this uh, also sometimes in kids 
um, who have been adopted and they feel like, you know, my parent didn't want me, well, who would want me? And then they, they go through um, circumstances like what you were saying. Now you said your mom was a yellow witch and a green witch, green witch. Did you say that? She, yeah, she practiced uh, the three different colors of witchcraft. I think she told me it was white witchcraft, white magic, uh, yellow magic and green magic. Now what is um, yellow so there's and green? Different- I'm not sure. She didn't really give too many details about that. She doesn't really like to talk about Good. that lifestyle because yeah. it sort of brings bad, bad memories. Yeah. Um, but I do know that with those types of magics, you can get certain powers. And she did. Okay. So you moved to New England and your mom is a born again Christian. She was able to ward off the devil by the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus and by the word of her testimony. And so you're in this church and and you're about seven years old, did you say? About seven years old. Seven years old. And then you're in the church. You guys are making yourself comfortable. It's a Pentecostal church. You guys know the Holy Spirit. And then someone <laughs> new comes in the church. What happened, Joshua? Yes. Well, there in the church, you know, like you said, it was full of the Holy Spirit. And um, my mother grew a lot there. Uh, she was able to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she got the gift of tongues. And... I was always fascinated by the the gift of tongues and other gifts that I saw there at the church. Um, The gift of prophecy that I saw in other people where God would reveal certain things to them. And the gifts always, always fascinated me. Um, Even now, you know, I think they're, there's such a great topic that we should all learn about. But anyway, um, the years pass, you know, I got there at around seven years old. And later on, a few years later, when I was about 13 years old, a man started to visit our church, and unfortunately, this man did have a lot of sexual spirits attached to him, you know, spirits of pedophilia, uh, of sexual abuse, and he started to molest me and other boys from this church, and not just our church, but other churches that we fellowshiped with, and, and other boys from the town that he would kind of befriend their mothers, single mothers whose parents, whose fathers brought out the picture. He would kind of target them. And even uh, kids who he saw that he didn't have great relationships with their father, he would sort of target them and slowly befriend them. You know, he would befriend us, the boys in my church, by taking it out, taking us out to the lake, by taking us out to eat, uh, to the mall, different places. He would pay us attention. You know, he would tell us jokes. He would make us laugh. He was a very charismatic, very funny person and very smart, too. Um, and little by little, that's how he was able to gain our trust. But he didn't gain just our trust. He was smart. He knew he had to also gain the adult's trust, the parent's trust. And the main way he did that was with his humor. You know, he was a comedian. He was very, very funny. He was always making everybody laugh. And I think he sort of used that as part of his manipulation, emotional manipulation, to get the parents on his side and get them to trust him enough to let their kids go with them alone, you know, to the streets, the mall, to different places. Um, he also used the same tactic on my pastor and his wife. He would bring them food. He would bring them clothes for the, their two boys. He would help them a lot at church. You know, he would drive the pastor. He would pick up things for the church. He would do so many things to sort of, you know, get himself in there and the good gracious of the, the pastors. And it worked. He was able to gain their trust so that even they felt comfortable letting their own two boys uh, hang out with him and go with him in different places. And later on, uh, eventually one brother 
I think he had the gift of discernment because he found out that this man uh, was addicted to pornography, that he had a lot of sexual addictions. Uh, he was his roommate, and he also went to our church. He found out about this man's uh, addictions to all that stuff, and he felt led by the Holy Spirit to share that with the pastor. And he also said, you know, Pastor, I feel like there's something strange going on with him, and I don't feel that we should let our kids be alone with him, especially our boys. And the pastor said that, you know, he was aware that there were certain people aware of that, and they were watching him. They were monitoring him, which to this day doesn't make any sense, you know, that if they knew about his inclinations, his attractions to young boys, why would they still allow him to hang out with us, to take us out by ourselves? But later on, years later, I realized, I think I know why. Um, he once told me, this man told me, you know, Josh, if you knew all the things I've done, if you know the things that I've done before, you would be afraid to be in the same room with me. You would not even talk to me. You'd be scared to be near me. And I do believe that he was involved in the occult. Now, after those comments and really meditating, on it, I do think he was involved in the occult or in witchcraft or something. I do believe he had strong spirits of control and manipulation that helped him because it was not natural uh, for the whole church to be sort of asleep for 20 years, to know about his inclinations for 20 years, not 20 years, uh, for 10 years, excuse me, uh, for 10 years to know about his inclinations and not do anything about it. So I do think there were spirits at work that were sort of manipulating and controlling our minds uh, through this man. Um, but eventually uh, we moved away from New England and I think God allowed that for a reason. I think God wanted me to gave, get away from all that, from that man, from the situation. Later on, one of the boys spoke up and everything came out to the light. Uh, parents went to the police station. Um, the man found out about it, I believe, through our pastor. I was told that the pastor notified him that the authorities wanted to interview him about certain boys that he was seeing. Once he found out that the police were looking for him, he fled the country. He went to a different country, and he's been in hiding ever since. And I just pray to God that the same thing does not happen over there where he's at, that God sort of, you know, protects the boys that are near him. And then if he starts to go to a church that he opens up their spiritual eyes so that this does not happen again with those boys at those church that he may be going to right now. When you mention all of that, some people picture, you know, a person who molests children as some guy with 1970s glasses or a white van. Did this man, how did this man look? Did he look normal? Um, did he look creepy? Um, you know, because some people just have this persona of how a pedophile will look. So they're like, okay, stay away from him. He's weird, but it could actually be the person who looks normal. So how old was this guy and how did he look? He was in his mid thirties, about 35, I think. Uh, he looked normal. Uh, he looked completely normal. And, you know, he was, like I said, very charismatic, very funny, very smart. He could sing beautifully. Like God gave him such a beautiful voice and you know, that, that's he used that to sort of uh, get himself in there to gain everybody's trust because he did look so normal and he was very hardworking, very, he was always volunteering to help others, you know, like I said, with the church, with the pastor's family, always volunteering to drive here and there to pick up things. It doesn't matter what a person looks like. Anybody can get these demons of pedophilia, these demons of sexual abuse, these demons, demons of sexual confusion and sexual perversion. 
And if they open up enough doors, they can really gain enough legal rights over that person where that person will act upon those thoughts and desires and attractions. I'm really glad you brought that up. And that's what I was trying to get at, where you can't just judge a person by what they look like. They can just look like the average person. What would you say to parents um, as to how to protect your children? Because people, parents, a lot of times feel as if church is their safe haven where they don't have to watch their children as closely. Even I know you were 13 at the time when all this started and they feel like, okay, I don't have to watch my kid as much. What advice would you give the parents who are going to church and all churches aren't like this. We just won't let you guys know all churches are not like this, but there are, the devil does assign certain people to certain churches. That's how, you know, it is. But what would you say, Joshua, are ways to protect your child from people and predators like this? Well, first of all, I would talk to your child. Um, I know it's uncomfortable, but you have to let them know that predators exist and that they can be anywhere, in schools, uh, in churches, the playgrounds, anywhere. So first of all, sit down and talk to them and tell them, you know, that if anybody ever suggests that they touch you here, they touch you there, that it's not okay, that you immediately tell them no, that you get in their face and tell them no, don't be afraid, and then tell me right away talk to your kids. They're a lot smarter than you can imagine. But let them know that these things happen. And let them know that if these things ever happen, you can you know, tell them you can talk about anything. If somebody ever touches you inappropriately, you can tell me. I won't be mad. If they threaten you or tell you that they're going to hurt me, your mom, your daddy, don't believe them. We're going to be okay. We'll take care of this man or this woman. But talk to us. So I definitely advise parents to have the conversation with their kids and it might be uncomfortable it might be scary and uneasy but you have to have that conversation with them from an early age the second thing is you know watch them when they go to the bathroom for example i mentioned this because he did this this man uh he waited till there was i think he was a seven or eight year old he went to the bathroom in our basement really quick by himself he saw the young boy going to the bathroom by himself immediately followed him in there and started to, you know, try to touch him uh, inappropriately in the bathroom, in the urinal. So watch your kids. Um, if they're going to go to the bathroom, I would even say, you know, try to assign an adult, a responsible uh, adult that you trust to go with them. And if they can't, then you go with them. You go with them and you, you watch them and protect them. Great advice. Great advice. Wow. And so prior to this, you were attracted to girls. And yeah. there was never any thought of liking boys. But after this happened, how did things change for you? Right. I was attracted to the girls. And as soon as the abuse happened, that all changed. My attractions immediately changed. And I only became attracted to, to boys. Um, and that was frustrating, you know, because I wanted to get those attractions back. I wanted, I knew it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't of God. I knew, you know, that God created man and woman, you know, and we learned about Adam and Eve and how that was the natural plan that God had for us, for humanity, for mankind. So I knew that this was not natural. I knew that what caused this change in attractions was the abuse. Um, and I knew enough about spiritual warfare to know that it was spirits that had been transferred over to me. And it wasn't just, you know, the attractions that were transferred over to me through that contact I had with them. It was also depression. It was also anxiety because this man had all those things. You know, he took like 10 different types of medications for his anxiety and depression and 
a lot of other uh, problems that he had. You know, unfortunately, those spirits would also transfer it over to me, and I became very depressed and very anxious, and I didn't even want to go to school. Um, I just wanted to be alone at home all day and sleep. I think freshman year, I may have missed about 50 days of school because I just, I didn't want to be near anybody. I just wanted to be alone and sleep and I didn't have any energy. And and when you're depressed, you know, that's one, com one of the common symptoms. You don't really have any energy and desire to do anything. You, know, you just want to be in bed all day. Um, but I couldn't tell my parents. I couldn't tell anybody because I was so ashamed. And I felt like, you know, it, it might've been my fault, you know, even though all kids think that when really it's the adult's fault, uh, the adults, you know, they're the ones who should know better. They're the ones who, you know, are completely developed and matured, you know, young children, their brains haven't matured yet. They don't know what's going on. They don't know uh, how to deal with a lot of these emotions um, that can be brought with this type of abuse. But um, I didn't tell anybody. I just sucked it up and uh, I didn't tell any adults, uh, but I did talk to some of my friends at church who were also going through this. And they would tell me too. And we were kind of like stuck because we were afraid to get him in trouble because he was our friend. He made sure that he became our friend. Um, he took us out, like I said, to all these fun places. He, he would cook for us. He would buy us food. He would buy us gifts. Sometimes he would give us money. Um, he made us laugh. He gave us attention. You know, he was, just, he was our friend. So it would felt like sort of we were betraying a friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, again, and it goes back to that emotional blackmail, that manipulation. He was an expert at that. Mm, and that's what grooming looks like. You just explained what grooming looks like uh, when a predator goes for their prey. And I, you said a few things that I just want you to elaborate again, because there are some people who don't understand what you said. And it's very powerful. You said that when he molested you, his spirits transferred over to you, not just the homosexual spirit, but other spirits. Could you just elaborate on that and tell how this happens? And again, what type of spirits? I know you mentioned depression, but could you just tell the audience what you mean by that? Right. Well, um, there are certain spirits, you know, there are certain spirits that can be attached to a person and those spirits can be transferred over to other people. Um, there's different ways they can be spread. Uh, one is through contact, physical contact, uh, sexual intercourse, sexual acts, um, but also through soul ties. I don't know if your uh, viewers know, I think most people know about uh, soul ties. There is a spiritual connection between you and another person in the spiritual realm. And you can develop a soul tie the more you hang out with a person, the more you talk to a person, the more you, um, and for example, also on social media, this is why social media can be dangerous because uh, social media can help you develop soul ties to a lot of people by constantly liking their videos, watching their videos, commenting on their videos, uh, you can develop a soul tie to another person who's maybe across the country. Um, and through those soul ties, different spirits that those people have can be transferred over to you and vice versa. So that's why you have to make sure that you uh, destroy all ungodly soul ties that may be forming on a daily basis in your life. Um, but yes, in my case, you know, he'd had a lot of different spirits, a lot of different spirits, uh, spirits of homosexual, homosexuality, uh, depression, anxiety, um, and even anger. Uh, and those did transfer over me, rebelliousness. I do feel like, you know, a lot of that got transferred over to me. And it just, it caused a change in me. I became more withdrawn. And like I said, I didn't want to be around anybody. In a way, I felt like I would... Uh, like I would infect them too. Like those qualities, those things would be transferred over to the people. And even though I didn't know about 
soul ties. I didn't know about the logistics of demonic transfers because I was only 13 years old. But I knew instinctively that, you know, I could transfer these things to the people too, just like he had transferred them over to me. So it was a very difficult time, a very difficult uh, a high school experience that I had. Mm, I'm sure. It sounds like you were a little wise beyond your years also to know that um, it could transfer. And the fact that you were concerned, you had that empathy where you didn't want it to pass on to someone. Um, so your mother raised you well. So how long did the abuse last for? For several years. So I think I was over 18, uh, past the age of 18 for several years. Um, and I tried, I tried when I got older, you know, to get away from that. But he, again, you know, he was my friend. Uh, he had me so well-groomed. And the same thing happened to other people uh, for years, the other boys for years that went on. And I think that's one of the reasons why God allowed us to move from New England down here to the South, because I needed to get away from that man. I was not going to grow and be set free from that if I was near that man. And so God allowed this accident to happen to my father, where a metal rod actually was inserted into his leg. And ever since that happened, uh, the winters in New England became unbearable for him, uh, caused him a lot of pain in his leg. So he decided to move down into the south where it was warmer, where everything was cheaper. And, and yeah, God sort of brought us to this little town. Um, and here is where I began a new journey, you know, and where I was able to at least get away from that man and sort of start my journey to to deliverance. So you mentioned a few times that the other boys, the other boys, are you saying that he molested other boys in the church too? Yes. Um, this happened with several other boys and uh, nobody wanted to speak about it. Um, everybody was embarrassed. Everybody was ashamed of what happened. So we kind of just all kept it to ourselves. Um, and unfortunately this went on, not just with me, but other friends of mine. And like I said, uh, other churches that we would fellowship with, he would target them as well. Anybody that he could really, if he saw a boy that was susceptible, that didn't have a great relationship with his parents, especially with their fathers, he would sort of take them under his wing and start taking them out and start preparing them for what would later happen. What did you do to deal with the depression? Did you do anything or you just coped with it? I just skipped school. I just wanted to, like I said, uh, be alone. Other friends of mine, other people who were abused by him dealt with him different ways you know some turn to drugs some turn to alcoholism some turn to different things um i was tempted to but then seeing the effect that those things had on my friends i realized they would just make my situation worse i realized if i start drinking and doing drugs and doing all those other things it's just gonna make life much more difficult so thankfully i had the wisdom to say no to those things and i had friends who had you know tried to invite me to do drugs and things like that but i always said no I always said no and said no, because I didn't know what I could do in a drunken state or in a drugged out state. You know, I didn't trust myself. Um, so, no, I just I just dealt with it and kind of internalized everything. So when did you end up telling your mother? Well, um, after we moved down here to the south, um, I started to go and it, my story is pretty long. Uh, that's why I had to write a book about it. But I'll try to summarize it. We moved down to the south and here, you know, I... I started to go to different churches. You know, I wanted to drive more modern churches, you know, ones that weren't so strict as the one that I went to in New England was very strict. And so uh, when I came down here, I thought, you know what, you know, let me try something different, something new. 
And so, you know, I went to different churches that, you know, allowed more of the world in that I thought were more fun, that I thought more, uh, but, you know, that just made things worse for me. And there, but there I made a couple of friends. I made two or three good friends and um, I stayed there, you know, for my friends, even though I knew that churches, the church that I went to was not doing things that were pleasing to God, like celebrating Halloween allowing secular music inside the church during some church services and even a little bit of dancing um, during one talent competition. Uh, okay, wait, wait. So what do you mean I, dancing? Not like Holy Ghost dancing. You're talking about worldly like dancing. Right? Worldly dancing to secular music during a, a talent show they did. And, um, you know, like I said, celebrating Halloween, the trunk or treat, whatever they call it. Um, and I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And I was really grieved in my spirit when I saw those things going on. But I, I couldn't leave. You know, I was I had made some really good friends. And I was afraid that if I left the church that I would lose my friends. And being in a new state, you know, I, I didn't want to be alone anymore. You know, I'd been alone for the first year. And it was hard being friendless and alone in a new state, the new culture, you know, down here in the South, it's very different than up there in the North. So I kind of stayed in the worldly church for many years due to my friends because I wanted to, to maintain that friendship. But eventually, uh, God took some drastic measures to get me out of that church and get me back on track, you know. And one of the things that happened was that uh, I was approached by a friend, you know, who was starting a business and he was my best friend. And so I decided to invest pretty much my entire life savings in his business. Later on, things went south. Um, there were a lot of broken promises. You know, I found out that there were a lot of lies being said. And after two years of, you know, trying to be patient and trying to wait for him to make good on his promises, you know, I realized that, that I had been scammed and, um, and I'd lost most of my life savings. And I had a meeting with the pastors about it. You know, we talked about it and he apologized. But at this point, you know, he had lied so much about so many things for so long that I thought, no, I, I can't. The trust is broken. I, I can't. So I left the church. I left that friend. I lost, I lost my life savings. I lost my friends. I lost my church all in a matter of a few weeks. And that was the worst year of my life, I think. That was so hard. And the depression just got even worse. And I stopped going to church. I was so angry. I was so angry at uh, myself. I was angry at God for allowing this to happen to me. You know, I, I sort of blamed him. You know, I thought, how could you allow this to happen to me? You know, I, I worked so hard for 10 years to save up all that. You know, I could have bought a house in cash at the time, not now. Um, I could have bought a house at the time, you know, in cash. I could have done so much and it was all gone. And I was just so angry, uh, not just for the money, uh, but just for the betrayal, you know, because it was my best friend. Uh, for the lies that's what hurt the most you know that the person I trusted the most ended up you know hurting me the most and so I left church I didn't really go to church for about nine months after that almost a year and then I I actually moved away from that town because I didn't want to be near my friend I was so angry and I felt like like a spirit of, of murder or like violence entered me because I really I hated him um, the enemy was projecting all these violent fantasies in my head about me you know taking his life that's how angry I was I was so so angry so mad so full of hate and bitterness and resentment and so I decided to move away partly because I was afraid of what I would do if I ran into him <laughs> that's how angry I was 
Later on, after a year, I calmed down. I moved back to this town. I was visited by some people from my mom's church, and some of them were prophets. And God spoke to me as they prayed for me um, through one of the prophets. And I realized, you know, it's time to stop running away. And, and deep down, I knew from the very beginning that I should have gone to my mother's church. I knew that I should have, I should have gone with her because she was going to a really good church. You know, it wasn't perfect, but I mean, the Holy Spirit was there. The gifts of the Holy Spirit was there. And they really did try to please God there at that place. But I was just, I was rebellious. I was a little bit rebellious. And I want to try something new, like I said. But I ended up going to my mom's church. And, you know, as soon as I walked in there, I felt the holy presence. I felt God's spirit in there. And I had a reverential fear, <laughs> um, which I didn't have at the other church. You know, the other churches where they let anything happen, you know, Halloween and worldly music and all this stuff. Um, there I felt fine. You know, I, I could go in there. I could watch pornography all night. I could do anything and then go Sunday morning to church and not be afraid at all because I knew that nobody you know was going to do anything about it and god was not going to expose my hidden sins i didn't really sense that the revelatory and prophetic gifts were active at that church but when i started to go to my mom's church i felt that i felt the holy spirit there and i already knew that there was a prophet there so i was like okay i, I can't you know i can't keep playing games with god i have to really try now i have to really seek him you know and i did i tried more and, and you know i did you know get better but the demons of pornography and the demons of homosexuality and lust, you know, they're really powerful and they just would not let me go. They did not want to let me go. And I, I became a little more depressed and my mom saw a change in me and we had a conversation. Um, I'll never forget this. We drove over to the next town over to pick up a pulpit and it was about 45 minutes away. And on that drive, we had a very honest talk. And I told her that I was struggling with this stuff. And Shodi suspected, Shodi kind of knew, but we had never really talked about it, you know? So we finally had a long conversation about it. And I knew that she could give me good advice because, you know, she used to be a witch. She dealt with demons, even Satan himself. So I knew as far as spiritual warfare, she could advise me on this topic. And so I asked for her advice and she told me the truth. You know, she didn't sugarcoat things. She told me that I did have, you know, spirits of homosexuality attached to me and that the Bible says in Matthew 17 that even certain disciples from Jesus could not cast out a demon from a child because they didn't have enough power and anointing. They didn't have enough faith. And Jesus told them, you know, these kind, I have it written down here, how be this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There are certain demons that are attached to us that are more powerful and stronger and more stubborn than others. And for those, you are going to need more anointing and power to drive them out, which can be best obtained by fasting and praying. And she explained all this to me with love. You know, she wasn't angry or judgmental or anything like that. She just explained things as a very matter of fact way. And she also shared a testimony of this man who was struggling with the same things as me. And he did a seven-day water fast where for seven days he only drank water and prayed specifically for God to set him free from these demons of homosexuality. And he did. And that sort of sparked hope in me. It gave me hope that if a God could do that with that man, that he could do it with me too. Because God doesn't have any favorites. You know, he can do the same thing with me as with you and with the neighbor and with the janitor as anybody. Um, God has no favorites. If you use the spiritual weapons that he made available for us, you will get the same results.
And so I decided to do the same thing. Um, after hearing that testimony, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to set some time aside and seven days of water fasting and praying and reading the Bible and just really seeking God's presence and putting that petition for God to set me free. So what did your mom tell you about the fasting part? Because you mentioned to me earlier that your mom knew about the spiritual realm. So what about the spiritual realm that she knew that fasting would accomplish? Well, she just knew that uh, fasting, there was so much power that can be unleashed to us through fasting. Fasting amplifies everything by 10, by 20. It just, it brings so much more supernatural power and speed into our lives. I learned this uh, throughout the years that with fasting, um, you can really uh, get prayers answered much faster than if you don't fast. If you pray, I mean, they'll get answered, but fasting just introduces a supernatural speed that I can't really explain. Some petitions that we have could be answered, you know, are going to be answered in decades or even a lifetime. But if you add fasting to the mix, they could be answered in years, in months, in weeks, or in days. I've seen it happen time after time. So she knew that I wanted faster results, which is why she told me, start fasting. And I always tell people, if you want faster results, start fasting. Fasting just makes everything happen faster. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's the one thing that I can assure you that I was born and raised in church. People hate to fast. <laughs> they hate to fast because they love food and it takes away your energy. So tell us, how was it for you? How was your fasting process? How did you feel? Because this is, I feel like, and I know, and I know you know too, that fasting is one of the most effective forms of warfare, spiritual warfare. So could you just tell us how that, how was that for you? How was your day-to-day -day life and how long did you do it for? Uh, fasting can be difficult because like you said, uh, we love food and I loved food. Uh, I heard a preacher once say that, uh, our stomachs are our new gods uh, to show like the emphasis that, you know, nowadays it's all about food. It's all about the most delicious uh, food that we can get our hands on. Um, but when you are talking about spiritual warfare, it's just one of those things you have to do. And for me, it was difficult, but I started slowly. I did uh, first a 24 hour water fast. Then the next week I did a 72 hour water fast uh, for three days um and then you know so i could get used to it and see what it was going to feel like and then after i got that i decided to go the following week for a seven day water fast so i, I kind of eased into it i didn't just go straight into the seven day water fast other friends of mine have done that and they've didn't have any problems but i wanted to slow myself into it i want to ease myself into it so i did and during the seven day water fast you know it's <laughs> You mentioned having energy. I had no energy. And, you know, during those seven days, you know, I mostly just uh, read the Bible and prayed and listened to preachings. I listened to testimonies from people who were fasting, some people who were fasting for seven days, others for 21 days, some for 40 days. And they were mentioning that, you know, some of them were able to go to work and work manual jobs while water fasting. And it just blows my mind because I could not do that. <laughs> During those seven days, I didn't have any energy. Um, just walking to the bathroom, you know, it took a lot out of me. I was mostly in bed, just listening to preachings and listening to worship music, reading the Bible. I couldn't really do chores. I couldn't really 
clean. I couldn't really do anything laundry. I couldn't do any of that stuff because I had no energy. But like I said, everybody's going to be different. Um, other people were able to go to work uh, where they had physical jobs. My pastor right now, he was able to do a 40-day water fast, just drinking water for 40 days and still go to his regular job at a factory. So everybody's different. Maybe I was just really out of shape. That may have something to do with it, actually, because I had a pretty uh, a job where I sat down and I didn't really do much exercise. My pastor, he was always moving. So his body may have been stronger and be able to deal with that better than mine was. But I just wanted to mention that in case some of you, you know, hear those preachings where some people were able to go to work and go to the gym and work out and stuff. And then you do it and you're like, I can't do any of that stuff. Well, what's going on? Man? Am I doing it wrong? No, just everybody's different. Explain for those who do not know, what's a water fast? A water fast is when you just drink water during the time that you are fasting that you're consecrating for God. Um, some people do dry fasts in which you don't drink water or eat food during that time. I did not feel comfortable doing that. I felt like I was being led to do a water fast, but a friend of mine who I know very well did a seven day dry fast because he was also struggling with the same things as me. And he was able to do it, um, but he did suffer a lot of uh, mental fatigue and body fatigues and aches. He also saw demons. Uh, in his case, his spiritual eyes were open and he was able to see into the spiritual realm and he was able to see and hear demons. Um, I had another friend of mine who did a Daniel fast uh, where you just eat fruits and vegetables and things like that. During that, um, she told me that the enemy also uh, send demons to sort of manifest and turn off her house's lights, move objects around, try to scare her. So when you're fasting, when you're seeking God like that, um, know that, that this can happen to you as well. The enemy can try to send his enemy, his, his demons to sort of confuse you or like try to intimidate you and scare you so he can stop fasting. And um, the same thing happened with me when I started to fast as well. Uh, I think on two occasions, demons actually attacked me. Um, while I was in bed, they jumped on me and grabbed the back of my neck and started shaking me so hard that I thought my neck was going to break and my head was going to fall off. Um, but then I just, you know, started to call on the name of Jesus. I didn't have to say it. I just thought, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just thinking it in my head, they could somehow sense this and they fled just with me thinking the name of Jesus. That's how much power the name of Jesus has. So um, if this ever happens to anybody, you just you know, rebuke them, order them to leave in the name of Jesus, and they will. Would you believe Jennifer Bagnashi's book, I Saw God Last Night, is not only a page turner, but readers are right. You won't be able to put it down. Strap on your seatbelt and get ready for a supernatural ride. Prepare to be captured on an enticing journey along one person's true life story of multiple face-to-face -face encounters with the supernatural realm, including God, angels, visions, and more. If I saw God last night, experience the sting of disappointment when a testimony is shared and rejected by the people we think are believers, and the joy of being received by those we never suspect. Millions of people around the world, along with spiritual leaders, have been misled that God is dead or that divine supernatural encounters are nothing other than nonsense and lies, many of which discourage those who believe in them or often won't believe unless it happens to them also. More times than not, experience Stomp's philosophy. As you absorb the pages of this book, 
you will learn the spiritual dangers of bringing particular items into your home, the power that comes with spoken words, why religion won't get you into heaven, why it's crucial for you to know the voice of God for yourself. You will also scope out how you too may also walk into the same supernatural realm, if not higher. Order your copy of I Saw God Last Night at www.deepbeliever.com. Amen. Amen. So tell me this, because there's some people, I know the answer to this, but a lot of people really don't know. Some people believe just fast. As long as you fast, and then once the fast, fast is over, you're fine. But is it just fasting, just not eating? Or do you have to fast and pray, fast and worship? Is it just fasting that'll do it? Or is there more to it? Uh, in my case, I, I found out that the fasting is much more effective when you combine it with prayer. And even the Bible says, you know, Jesus mentioned in Matthew 17, 21, it's with prayer and fasting. Um, so I took note of that and made sure to pray a lot. Sometimes I didn't have the energy to kneel down. So I would just pray in bed. Because like I said, I really struggled with having physical energy during those seven days. So I would, you know, just pray in bed. I would uh, have preachings, worship music. Um, and I also listened to a lot of testimonies from ex-witches, ex-Satanists, ex-voodoo priests. I listened to them because I wanted to learn more about the tactics that the enemy has, how he's able to fool the church and all the tricks and traps and deception that he has placed in this world to make us fall. And the different portals that we can open that can allow those demons to be transferred over to us. Rarely discussed that demons can be transferred over to us through touch through physical sexual abuse, uh, through soul ties. But there's other portals that I learned that can be opened that can allow demons to enter our lives, which can then project their thoughts into our minds, project their emotions, project their desires, their attractions. And one of the things that I learned during, during those seven days uh, from those ex-witches and ex-Satanists was that TV was one of those ways that those portals could be opened up. I researched more about them and I realized that it is true. Um, and I have here some quotes. I have one here from the famous Satanist Anton Xander LaVey, who said this, television is the major mainstream infiltration of the new satanic religion. And you know what he calls televisions? He calls them the satanic family altar. That's what he calls them. And I found out that actually uh, TV was invented um, by Satanists and by witches um, to try to, you know, bring more destruction to the church, to bring more destruction to the world. And the more I researched this topic, the more I realized that it is true. Um, I started to research and interviews for different actors. And I found out that many actors admitted to being possessed while they're acting in movies. They called the method acting in which they sort of clear their minds and allow these spirits or these characters to take control. Now, we know what, the, what they are, those spirits, those characters, we know that they're demons. Um, but I found some quotes that I think your viewers might be surprised to hear. For example, Robin Williams, who played the voice of Genie in Aladdin. Who hasn't watched Aladdin? I've seen it probably like 20 times when I was a kid. Listen what he said. He said, yeah, literally, it's like possession. All of a sudden you're in, and because it's in front of a live audience, you just get this energy that starts going. 
But there is also that thing. It is possession. In the old days, you would be burned for it. But there is something empowering about it. I mean, it's a place where you are totally Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where you can really become this other force. So here he admits that it is possession. When you're acting, it does open up doors for these actors uh, to get possessed. And I have another interview here, Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors when I was young. He said the following uh, during an interview of 60 Minutes. Basically, what I did was I got on my knees and sort of communicated with the spirits. And when I came out, I was in charge. Powerful scene. I could not have acted that. I could not have written that down and made a decision to play that. And I also found an interview. Um, have you ever seen the X-Men movies? Yes, I have. I think the first okay. one. Those are my favorite movies when I was little. Uh, so when I saw this interview, it really disturbed me. Um, I used to watch the X-Men cartoons every Saturday morning. I had the cards. Uh, I love those movies. Um, but I found this interview on Jimmy Kimmel where one of the actors who played Professor Xavier, um, they were asking all the actors of the cast for the X-Men Dark Phoenix, what's your phobia? What are you afraid of? And out of all the things uh, Professor Xavier, James McVoy, the actor said, he said, demonic possession. That's one of his phobias, being possessed by demons. And they tell us, you know, uh, Oprah, for example, also admitted to invoking spirits to help her when she was filming her movie, uh, Beloved. And she said the following, I ask my body to be a carrier for the spirits of those who have come before me in a way that is most meaningful to the character. Just become the vehicle for that character. I try to empty myself out and let the spirit inhabit me. So here, you know, we see a lot of actors that are just invoking these spirits, channeling these spirits to inhabit them, to help them act better. And singers, too. Um, I've heard um, Beyonce say that, you know, she calls on Sasha Fierce, that she sort of, you know, takes over when she's singing. And Sasha Fierce, her alter ego, helps her to hit notes that she could not normally hit by herself. And it's true. When you invite demons, uh, they can give you access to some of their powers and also some of their talents. They can improve your vocal abilities, your acting abilities, your physical abilities. You know, for some athletes that I've heard and I put in the book, too, that have made packs with the enemy uh, to help them, to help them gain fame and, you know, do better in sports. So I, I learned this uh, while watching all those interviews. And I sort of, you know, pushed this to the side. I pushed this to the side. Uh, and I kind of ignored them because I didn't want to believe it. <laughs> I didn't want to believe it because I didn't want to let go of TV. But going back to my story, um, I was there for seven days, praying, fasting, uh, listening to preachings, uh, reading the word, just really getting full of God's presence. And on the seventh day, I felt led by God to fast one more day to, so I could make it a total of eight days. On the eighth day, I woke up and... I felt horrible. I felt like I was going to die that day. And I went to the sink and I just started to vomit. But it was a spiritual vomiting. I could feel myself vomiting out those demons. And after I vomited, I felt the clarity of all clarities. It is a clarity that I can't really describe. But it felt like, like I'd woken up from a 20-year nightmare. Like my spiritual eyes, my spiritual ears were finally opened. And I tried to think of men in a sexual manner. I tried to have those thoughts, but I just felt disgust. I felt repulsed by it. And I knew that it had worked. I knew that God had set me free, just like he set that other man free. So 
I was over the moon. I was overjoyed. Something happened, though. Over the next few weeks, I sort of ignored the warnings that those ex-witches and ex-Satanists gave me in those videos, which is you have to protect your eyes and you have to protect your ears because demons can enter through you through what you're watching and, and through what you're listening to. So I thought, you know, oh, it's fine. You know, I kind of put this aside because, you know, <laughs> I love TV. You know, there was a uh, there was so many good shows and so many good movies. And so I started little by little, you know, just watching clips on YouTube, you know, watching maybe like 30 minutes of a movie and that progressed. And immediately I felt like those demons returned. And I remembered those warnings from those ex-witches and ex-Satanists. And I was like, they were right. They were absolutely right. And those demons, you know, re-entered me and regained those legal rights. And eventually, you know, they drove me crazy, crazy with these sexual urges, these sexual you know, that's what you fasted for, desires. Right? You fasted in order to get yeah. rid of that homosexual spirit and everything else. Yeah. And the lust and the pornography and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I ignore their warnings um, that I also had to use this weapon of consecration that you have to consecrate your eyes and your ears too. fasting, reading the Bible, praying, you know, those things help us to get rid of those demons, but they can re-enter if we don't protect our eyes and our ears from what we're watching. And so I realized that the weapon of consecration is actually uh, one of the most powerful weapons. I think the most powerful weapon because it's the hardest one to use. And when I realized this, you know, I got into a really deep depression because I did not think that I would be able to stop watching TV or stop watching um, shows, movies. I didn't think I'd be able to, you know, I thought, you know, there's so many good movies coming out, you know, the Avengers, the X-Men movies, you know, there's all these awesome movies and all these cool shows that are going to come out. And I don't think I'll have the self-control to not watch them. So it's going to happen again. I'm going to keep having to go through deliverance and getting delivered, uh, delivered, getting demonized and delivered and demonized over and over again. You know, I was going to be a spiritual yo-yo for the rest of my life. And I realized I don't want to go through that. And I just got into a deep depression. But I realized, you know, that there is power in fasting and praying that God would answer the petitions that I've set forth. So I kind of embarked on this misguided quest. And the petition that I decided to put for God was for him to just kill me for him to take my life because I was tired. I was so, so tired and frustrated and depressed because being a Christian, <laughs> living a godly, holy life is hard work. Um, you really have to deny your flesh. You have to say no to the world. And that's very hard. And I didn't think I would be able to say no to TV, to secular entertainment. So that's what I did. I said, you know what? I'm done with this. I just... I just want to be in heaven. I want to be away from this world, away from all these demons that could so easily manipulate and project their thoughts into my mind by what I'm watching, what I'm listening to. So I decided to put the petition. You know, I said, my petition is for God to kill me and to just take me to heaven. And so I did that. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to do this for one year. And I had faith that God would answer the petition so much that I actually bought a life insurance policy for like $300,000. And I put my mom as the beneficiary. And I thought, you know what, at least, you know, this way something good will come, come out of my life. You know, she can use that money to help her church, to help the poor, to start an orphanage that she's always wanted to start in Mexico. I know she'll do good things with the money. So that way something good will come out of my life for once. So 
I embarked on that quest and I told my mom about it. I gave her the life insurance policy information and I told her, you know, my plans. And I told her that I was just so frustrated that I didn't think that I would be able to, to stay delivered, that I didn't think I'd be able to, to consecrate myself to the Lord. And she kind of didn't take me seriously. But I said, no, I'm serious. I'm going to do it every day for a year or longer if I have to. So God answers that petition. Uh, but throughout that process, God sort of delivered me again. Around the 40th day, he delivered me. And during this fast, I was fasting from early in the morning, from about seven in the morning or six in the morning to around three or four in the afternoon. So about eight or nine hours. And around the 40th day, God began to set me free. And this time, the deliverance was more intense. It was more profound. Uh, this time, you know, there was other parts of me that got healed that before were not healed. And so then I realized, you know, there are other people around me that I could help. You know, if I stay here on earth, you know, I could actually help others. And God brought other men and uh, brothers in Christ who were struggling with the same things. And they talked to me and I realized, you know, I could help them. You know, we could pray and fast ask each other, we could all obtain deliverance and God could use me to help others. So I decided to erase that petition and just put new petitions where, you know, God would help me to help others. And God would use me to share this testimony with people all over the world so they could also know that deliverance is possible. Anybody can be delivered from anything, but there are certain spiritual weapons you have to use. Uh, and I explain them clearly in the book. Um, there's seven that I had to use. Um, and one of the ones I had to use was forgiveness. I didn't mention this before, but during those eight days that I was fasting, God told me that he wasn't able to answer my prayers because I still had a lot of hatred and bitterness towards my friend, the one who scammed me out of most of my life savings. And so, you know, the Bible is very clear that if we don't forgive, he can't forgive our sins. And unforgiveness is a sin in itself. And whenever we have sin in our lives, you know, it sort of blocks God's ears. And I have a scripture here that says in Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So our sins hide God's face from us and makes it impossible for him to hear us and makes it uh impossible for him to hear our petitions so we have to forgive others we have to get rid of that sin of unforgiveness and it's in our hearts and god told me during those seven days that you have to forgive um the person who you know stole from you and so i decided you know to just declare i forgive my friend in the name of jesus and i ask you that you bless him protect him and save him and just made a declaration and at first when i said that it didn't feel good i didn't want to say that you know i had to spit the words out because i was still pretty angry i didn't think that he deserved my forgiveness or my love or my compassion but i was determined to get deliverance so i just declared that i forgave him dozens and dozens of times until god sort of um removed that ice from my heart you know and so that is one of the weapons that i talk about in the book you have to forgive you have to use that weapon because it's a very powerful weapon that will destroy a lot of legal rights that the enemy has over your life. And, you know, eventually I was able to forgive him. You know, I found him at the store one day and I went up to him. God told me, go up to him and ask him for forgiveness in person. So I did. And I just told him, you know, I'm sorry for how I handled the situation. I'm sorry that, you know, I didn't, I should have reacted differently and I'm sorry. And he said, no, I should be the one apologizing to you. You know, I'm sorry. 
And so we hugged each other and we, you know, we made peace. And now, you know, we're talking, you know, we text every now and then and God has restored that friendship. So let this be a testament that if you think there's somebody you cannot forgive, look at me. I went to a point where I wanted to kill him, whereas I was, I was actively fantasizing about killing him, where I had to move away because I thought I would hurt him. And now, you know, I began to pray for him. I began to fast for him, you know, and only God can do that. <laughs> only Jesus could do that. Only the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords could do something like that. So if there's somebody that you think you cannot forgive, I'm telling you, you can. God can help you. Amen. So you use two weapons, fasting and forgiveness. So now are you attracted to women? Yes. After that happened, uh, God restored the, my attractions and I was so thrilled, you know. And so uh, then one of the petitions that I put was that would God would bring my wife soon so that we could uh, get married and, you know, and I some family and, you know, live in life. Now that I knew that I would be able to you know, have a normal, healthy marriage. And, you know, God has told me that he's preparing somebody. He sent a prophet to tell me that he's preparing somebody and to just be patient. You know, somebody that is going to be, uh, like the Bible says, you don't want to marry somebody who you're not equally yoked with, somebody who I'm going to be uh, in the same level, in the same uh, spirit, that's going to be a blessing to my life and that I'm going to be a blessing to them. So I'm waiting on God's promise and, um, and yeah, in the meantime, I'm focusing on this ministry, on preaching the gospel, and on getting this information to other people so that they also could have the same results or better results. You know, that's my prayer, that God will, will do greater things in the people who are going to read this book or listen to this book, that they're also going to be motivated to start praying and fasting and reading the Bible and really getting God's presence and using all the spiritual weapons mentioned in the book so they can get better results in me. You know, that's my goal. You have no attraction to men now whatsoever, right? That's right. Wow. Praise God. And there's nothing that you forced. You just allowed God through fasting, praying and forgiveness to cleanse you and deliver you. And I know you, you mentioned that you had to vomit some stuff out. Could you repeat that part? Because there was a church that I went to years ago where they kicked people out of a church because they had a small group where people were getting delivered and in the deliverance, they were, they had trash bags and they would throw up and they would vomit. And that was a, a part of the delivering process, but the church kicked the people out because they didn't understand it. And this was a big church, almost like a mega church, you know, in Connecticut where I used to live. So Explain that to people because people don't understand why people throw up in deliverance. When you are getting delivered, uh, the demons come out and sometimes that when they leave, they can be manifested in vomiting and um, spitting. Um, I've heard some people actually like burp. Uh, so different things can happen when you're getting delivered and those demons flee your body. And I know it sounds kind of strange, but I've seen it time after time in different churches. Um, that I've been to where they also have like that little trash can for the vomit, like you mentioned. And it might seem strange, but that's just a, one of the things that can happen as demons are leaving your body. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Amen. Amen. And I want to, and we'll get to your book in just a minute, but there is something else fascinating that I love where you mentioned that after you fasted, other things begin to happen to you. So this is why it's good to fast for the Lord. You begin to have <laughs> dreams and visions. You said you couldn't even dream. You don't remember any dream you ever had before this. 
and you were able to see into people's lives. Could you tell us about that? Yes. So when I was uh, spending those eight days uh, praying and fasting in my room and watching all those testimonies, uh, a lot of people had kind of said, you know, when you get more into God's presence, when you start praying and fasting and read the Bible more, some of the spiritual gifts can be manifested in you, can be activated. And a lot of people were mentioning how God started to speak to them in dreams and visions and revelations and different things. And I didn't really believe them. <laughs> I, you know, I thought, okay, that's, that's fine. But, you know, I'm not going into this for dreams. I'm going for the deliverance. You know, save the dreams and give them to somebody else, God. Just give me the deliverance. I just want that. Um, but the same thing happened to me. They were right. God began to speak to me through dreams and visions. Um, at first, it was mostly through dreams. And I was told, you know, to write down the dreams and to ask God for their interpretation. Some are kind of easy to interpret, but some really do require a lot of prayer. So they got to give it the interpretation. And before that, you know, I didn't really have any dreams. I maybe dreamt once or twice a year I had a dream. Um, but if I did have dreams, I didn't remember any of them. But once I started to fast every day, you know, from early in the morning till in the afternoon, God began to deposit these dreams at night and he would start showing me things that people around me were doing, that were saying, that were thinking, uh, hidden sins that they had. You know, some people, you know, were struggling with pornography. Some people were committing, you know, certain things that were not pleasing to God. And so um, he also showed me different things about the future, about the tribulation. He showed me dreams of heaven. Uh, he showed me a dream of the Antichrist. He showed me all kinds of things, even some dreams about celebrities. Um, and I mentioned them in the book, but for now, I'll focus on those dreams uh, that I had about those people around my life um, from different churches that I visited, uh, from coworkers, from friends. And um, and yeah, at first, I felt this supernatural like desire to share the dreams with them. I didn't know why, but I felt like the need to share it with them. I sensed that God was trying to tell them something to the dream, you know? Um for example, in one occasion, God showed me that this brother was struggling with, uh, with pornography and with you know sexual sin and stuff like that. And God would show me um, those things, and I would bring it to him. And he said, "Yes, I'm struggling with those things." This other brother, for example, uh, that I saw in my dream, he was committing sexual acts with other men. You know, the interpretation was pretty clear that he was being oppressed by a demon of homosexuality. And so I talked to him. And he said, "Yes." I've actually been dealing with that. Um, this other sister, for example, that was being hit by demons of disbelief. Um, and the dream, I saw her that she was saying, you know, I feel like I'm going to be left behind the rapture. I feel like I'm going to stay behind. Like God's not going to take me. I'm so afraid. And in the dream, I saw her saying all this. And so I talked to the sister about this and I presented this and she said, yes, I've been saying that constantly. I feel like I'm going to be left behind the rapture. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like God is not going to want me. Um, and so in the dream, you know, uh, there was a man there who said that she would be taken the rapture, but she had to have faith and stop allowing that doubt to, to flourish in her mind. So that interpretation was pretty clear. Um, there was a demon of doubt that was sent to torment her and a demon of fear. Um, but God wanted to let her know that, you know, he was seeing that her heart was in the right place and that she was trying to live a, plea, a godly, righteous life for him and that she would be taken in the rapture. And there's other things, you know, um, that God showed me. It's it's hard to get into all of them, but I put about 30 dreams in the, in the book. 
and hopes that people will be able to read those dreams and the interpretations and it'll help them um, when they start having dreams um, so they can interpret them more accurately. And one of the things I mentioned in the book is we do have to pray for God to give us the interpretation because some of the dreams can be hard to interpret. Um, and you really want to pray for God to show you if the dream is from God, because dreams can come from three different sources. Dreams can come from the enemy, they can come from God, and they can come from your own soul. Sometimes, you know, we think so much about a certain topic, and then at night, we'll have a dream about it. So you really have to make sure that you know where the dream comes from. And if you're certain, you know, that the dream does come from God, ask him to give you the interpretation. What does it mean? Could it be a warning of something that's going to happen to perhaps your family in the future? You know, if you see your parents having an accident, maybe God's trying to warn you, hey, that's a revelatory dream of what's being planned in the spiritual realm, what the enemy is trying to plan in the spiritual realm for your parents, where he's trying to organize an accident for them to get involved in. And so if that happens, well, you know what you have to do. You have to pray and fast for those plans to be destroyed in the spiritual realm before they get manifested here in our earthly realm. People don't realize that. God gives us so many warning dreams that we are completely missing because we don't realize that he does speak through dreams. Um, I didn't know that either. Uh, but after I studied the Bible, I realized that there's 50 examples in the Bible where God spoke to his servants through dreams. So really, uh, if you start to pray and fast, start paying attention to your dreams, start writing them down. If you find out that they are from God, ask him to give you the interpretation. And some dreams, you know, a God is going to have you share with those people, you know, because they might be warning dreams or maybe dreams of encouragement. Maybe there's a huge blessing coming um, in the life of somebody that you know. Um, and God wants you to share that dream with that person because they might be going through a hard time right now and they might be losing hope. And they might need to hear that word of God that, you know, that prayer, that blessing that you've been asking for, it's on its way. Just stay faithful to God. Um, some dreams you're going to want to keep to yourself. Some dreams um, are just for you so that you can pray uh, for that person. And that's another reason that uh, God gives us dreams so that we can help those people through prayer and fasting sometimes they have a hard time praying and fasting because of certain spiritual chains that they have so in that case god might want you to start praying to start interceding for those people you know god may show you that um somebody from your church is dealing with suicidal thoughts and depression and all these things they're not able to start praying and fasting or reading the word because they're in such deep bondage so in that case god may want you to start praying for them for those chains to be uh, destroyed so they can get up and then eventually they can start using those spiritual weapons too. So I've noticed that uh, God um, gives us these gifts, these spiritual gifts so that we can help others. They're not for our, for ourselves so that we can brag about them or, you know, feel like, Oh, look, I have all these gifts. They're a responsibility um, through these gifts. Uh, God expects us, you know, to do certain, certain things, not just keep them for ourselves, but to use them. Um, and to use them wisely. Were you saved during this whole ordeal? Were you born again during the whole time? I would like to think I was. I would like to think that I was saved, but I believe I was also demonized. <laughs> I think there's a lot of uh, true Christians that are saved, that genuinely love God, um, but are just heavily demonized. And they're not able to break free 
from those spiritual chains because they don't know how. They don't know about the spiritual weapons they have to use. So I do think that I was saved. And I think that I just didn't have the spiritual knowledge that I needed to be able to obtain deliverance. And I didn't have the desire to really, really want to get delivered. And that's one thing you really want to, when you get deliverance, you have to want it. You really have to want it. You want to show God that you are serious. You know, at the time I, I, I didn't really want it because I didn't really do too much research, you know, about what I had to do to gain deliverance. I was just kind of, you know, one foot in the world and one foot in church, which I think a lot of people are, you know, I was, I was a lukewarm Christian and that's dangerous because uh, the Bible says that, you know, anybody who's lukewarm is still going to be vomited out on judgment day. So we have to be completely on fire for God. You know, we have to be completely uh, there in God's presence. We can have one foot in the world and one foot in church. Amen. So how old were you when you gave your life to Jesus? When I gave my life to Jesus, I was around, I was a teenager. I got baptized in water in our church. Uh, they took us all to a lake and there I was baptized along with other youth members and other adults. And I was serious about that pledge I made to Jesus. I really did want to serve him, but there were so many demons attached to me and so many generational curses placed on my life that did not allow me to serve him in spirit and in truth. Did it not allow me to to live the life that he wanted me to live. Before I could do that, I need to be delivered. I needed to be set free from a lot of spiritual bondage, which I was not until I started to use the spiritual weapons. Mm -hmm. And now you are born again, right? Yes. Amen. Amen. And then so people, when they hear that you were able to, you know, um, I don't want to say call people out, but like know the issues that they were dealing with. Some people may be wondering, well, does he just know everybody's business when he walks down the street? Or was it just particular people who the Lord wanted you to pray for or pray with? It was just particular people. Uh, yeah, I had the same thing when I was a young uh, boy. Uh, there was prophets in my church and I was sort of afraid to be near them because I knew that God could show them what I was going through. And I was afraid that God would reveal those things. And so, you know, now 20 years later, I've kind of switched places. <laughs> um, and certain people, people did start you know avoiding me when they realized what was going on that god was activating this prophetic and revelatory gifts inside me but i mean god will show you what he wants you to know he's not going to show you everything about everybody uh, so people need to realize that you know it happened with certain people that just god wanted me to know some of their struggles it wasn't with everybody it was just with certain people um, some people from my church, from other churches, some co-workers, some friends. And, you know, like I said, uh, God gives you these gifts so that you can help them by sharing them with them so that they could maybe be aware that, you know, there's a certain sin they're committed that is going to bring destruction to their lives. So there's a certain sin they're committing that is angering God, that is maybe um, robbing them of certain blessings things uh that god wants to give to them but they're not able to receive because they're engaging in willful sins i want to get to your book finally you keep talking about it and it sounds amazing it's called the last weapon fasting one year could you tell us about that yes uh it's called uh the last weapon fasting one year because that's what i did that one year uh fasting experiment changed my life they completely helped me to see god in a different way you know it activated the gifts of the holy spirit inside of me it 
help me to have faith that you can obtain deliverance from all things. And I want to share that. I wanted to sort of be the same, uh, get that same motivation that I received when I heard that testimony about that man who fasted for those seven days that my mom shared with me. I wanted to sort of give the same hope, the same uh, spark of hope in people that you can obtain deliverance. Uh, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I can do all things. I can be delivered from all things, not certain things. And people... Some people think that, you know, there's certain things they're just, they're never going to get over, but there aren't. Uh, you can get over all things. God can heal you from all, every different sin that you're dealing with. And so the book was based on that, on the seven spiritual weapons that I had to use, the weapon of forgiveness, the weapon of faith, the weapon of confession, uh, fasting, prayer, uh, the word, and consecration. The seven weapons that helped me to obtain deliverance, um, I know are going to help others to obtain deliverance as well. And so I made the book uh, free as an ebook on my website. They can download it for free on my website. And they can also listen to it free uh, as a podcast on my website, authorjosuegutierrez.com. But if they also want a physical copy, I made it available on Amazon for those who want a paperback or hardcover option. I know a lot of people prefer like an actual book. I prefer a physical copy because um, it's a little easier on my eyes. And also because you can let your friends borrow it. Um, so I urge everybody to get a copy. And after you read it, let somebody borrow it. Let your youth group borrow it. Um, if you know somebody who's dealing with some of the same, same things that maybe I struggle with, you know, uh, with sexual sins. I think this is a, a book that every young man should read because almost every young man, you know, struggles with pornography and with sexual sin. And I was reading some statistics and they shocked me. Uh, just a few days ago, I was reading some studies they did, and about 71% of Christian men watch pornography. 20% of Christian women watch pornography. About 31% of young people identify themselves as LGBTQ TV. LGBTQ. Uh, like lesbians or, <laughs> yeah, all that, all those uh, letters. 31% are struggling with sexual confusion. 51% of young people are struggling with depression. And these three things are the things that I struggle with, the depression, the sexual confusion, the pornography. So when I read those statistics, I realized, you know, there are millions of people who I think this book, you know, could really help them. Um, so that's why I would encourage everybody to get a copy, but also share it, share it with your friends, um, let them borrow it, um, share this book on social media um tell others about it so they can get the free book if they prefer the free version uh, the digital version or the podcast version it's on itunes spotify all those different places if they go to my website author Josue gutierrez we can put a link in the video and they can see all the places where this book is available um and i really just urge everybody to to do that we're going to put that link in the description below could you do us a favor Joshua, mm -hmm. could you please pray for everyone who's watching this, who are struggling or who is struggling or knows people who are dear to them, who are struggling with everything that you struggle with, homosexuality, depression, rejection, insecurity, all that stuff. Could you pray for those who just need that uh, prayer for deliverance and so they can do what God told them to do without um, any barriers in the way and without um, suicidal thoughts or depression, could you just pray for 
those people who are watching right now? Absolutely, we'll pray together for all those people watching right now. Lord, we thank you for every viewer that's watching this video right now. And we ask you right now that you send the Holy Spirit to each and every person right now in the name of Jesus Christ. We know that you are able to do all things, Father God, that there is nothing that you cannot do. We ask you right now that you send the fire of the Holy Spirit right now to burn up all chains over all those viewers who are struggling with homosexuality, who are struggling with lesbianism and pornography addictions and depression and anxiety father god we ask you right now that you go to every single person and you start destroying all chains and all shackles that have them tied father god we ask you that you help them father god you give them the strength they need father god to keep on fighting this good battle we ask you that you give them the motivation they need to start engaging in spiritual warfare lord god we ask you that you help them that you give them the strength they need to start using the spiritual weapons that they need to use to obtain deliverance father god and that you amplify their faith do you let them know lord that you can do that they can do all things to you father god the bible says that i can do all things through christ who strengthened me lord let them know this let them believe this father god and let them start use the spiritual weapons father god so they can get the same deliverance that i obtained lord and we ask you that you protect every single person watching this video lord god we ask him you cover them with the fire of the holy spirit with the blood of christ and you send legions of warrior angels right now to protect them father god and to keep them safe wherever they are in the mighty name of jesus christ we ask you all this lord god amen 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 and amen joshua thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your testimony and i know it's going to be a blessing and i know people are going to be delivered when they hear this and i also want to uh mention one more thing before we disconnect I'm starting a one-year fasting chain that uh, a lot of other churches have joined to, and I invite everybody who's watching to join it. Um, you can find out more about that on my website, um, but I'll read you the petition and the gist of it really quickly. It started on July 10th, 2022, and it ends on July 10th, 2023. I'll be fasting every day to make sure that the chain does not break. But the viewers don't have to fast every day. They can fast one or two times each week, one or two times each month, or even one or two times in the whole year. And the main petition that we bring in God is the following. For God to save, deliver, heal, bless, protect, and guide everyone in this chain, readers of this book, and supporters of this ministry, and for God to never erase our names from the book of life, so that we can spend eternity in heaven with our Savior Jesus. And I want to make a quick note. They can add more petitions when they fast. Um, if they have also petitions for their family, for their friends, they can add them too. But this is the main petition that we're bringing here. And when I say supporters of the ministry, I want to make it clear that they can support this ministry in many different ways. And two of the best ways they can support this ministry is by just sharing this book with others, sharing this video with others. That's the way you can support this ministry in just a few seconds. You know, just share it on your Facebook group, um, WhatsApp groups, on your Facebook profiles, wherever you can. Just share this video. The other great way that you can support this ministry is by praying for me. Uh, and this is so important because... I've been getting a lot of spiritual attacks ever since I published this book. And each time I do interviews like this, I get even more spiritual attacks from the enemy because he doesn't want this message to go out there. He doesn't want people to know about the spiritual weapons because he knows that they're going to get the same results. They're going to attain the same blessings. 
and he wants to keep all this hidden. So I ask you that you please pray for me. That's one of the best ways he can support this ministry and support me is by just keeping me in your prayers. And, and I hope that, you know, you are motivated to join this fasting chain because the more people that join, the more power is going to be unleashed to everybody in this fasting chain. So I definitely encourage you to join this fasting chain, which will end on July 10th, 2023. And next year, I might start a different fasting chain. You can find out more about that by subscribing to my newsletter, which is also on my website, because I do want to start organizing more fasting chains in the future. Amen. Amen. We'll do. And I'll be praying for you, too. And us at Deep Believer will be praying for you, too. Amen. Thank you so much for that. And uh, may God bless you for all the work that you do. Uh, this channel has been a huge blessings to me. I know if God has used it to bless a lot of other people. So thank you for all the hard work that you do. Thank you for all the energy and time and dedication that you dedicate to this. Because I know it's a lot of hard work. It's I started my own YouTube work. channel. Oof. Yeah, yeah, I started my own YouTube channel too. And it's it's like five or six hours per video. So yeah. Um, I and every other subscriber appreciate all the hard work that you do. And um, if your subscribers are also looking for another channel to watch, I would invite them to subscribe to my channel as well, Author Josue Gutierrez. I've uploaded different preachings in English and in Spanish because I want to bring this message to not just our American brothers in Christ, but also to our Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ. And we'll have all that at the bottom below in the description. So if you want to reach out to Joshua, if you want his book, if you want his ebook, if you want to join the uh, fasting chain, the prayer chain, everything is at the bottom.